Thanks for staying and you can be seated. Good morning, Rock family. Happy New Year. It's good to see you. I'll say the same thing that I said on Christmas Eve, you made it. A lot of people are out today uh, sick, with uh, some with COVID, some with uh, influ strains of influenza, just a lot of things going on right now. So I uh, just, uh, you know, the, the common thing for us to do is to live out of fear and uh, live out of faith instead of fear, but at the same time live with common sense. So if you're not feeling well, just don't be around people. Use hand sanitizer, wash your hands. If you need to wear a mask, just do what you got to do. Uh, our intent, obviously, is to keep the house of God open for people to worship. And we, we, we value our freedom. And so let's do whatever we can so we can continue that. Amen. So uh, just pray for those who are sick today. Um, so it's good to see you. So today we're just going to have a, just kind of a, I don't know if I want to call it a pep talk. I think that just sounds kind of trite and it sounds really shallow to say. But what I want us to think about as we go into this new year, and next, year, next week we're going to be starting a series uh, on the book of Proverbs. But today I want us to talk about what it means for us to finally turn the page on some things. And what I want us to see is that that change has to begin and end with us finally, some of us for the first time, consistently getting into the word of God. So here's, here, here's our dilemma. We love Jesus. That's, that's no question. For, for, for most of us, if not all of us in this room, if somebody said, hey, do you love Jesus, what would our answer be? Yes, right? Do we love salvation? Absolutely. Do we think there's any other way to get to heaven besides Jesus? Hopefully your answer is no, only through Jesus, right? But here's the thing. All of the truth that we know that gets us to heaven which means that we realize that we've sinned against God, that we've thought things, said things, done things that has displeased God, and on our own, we can't get to heaven. We're supposed to spend eternity separated from God in a literal place called hell, but because God loved us so much, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, God the Son, to come to this earth, to be born of a virgin, to, to, be li to live a, a life that was tempted in every point like we were, but without sin, so that he could give himself up to be tortured and bled and died to pay the price for my sin and your sin and then three days later on by his own power he rose up from the grave showing us not only he can forgive us of our sin but also give us eternal life all of the truth that we know that gives us a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is found where in the word of God but here's the thing sometimes we get stuck and all we do is take the word of the person telling you the word of God, and we never get into the word ourselves. And so we, we say, hey, this is true because, hey, Pastor Rob said that, or my Sunday school teacher when I was a kid said this and said that. And that's what we take as the assurance of our salvation. And everything that we learn in Sunday school or in a Sunday morning service, or maybe that blog that we read, or maybe that favorite preacher that we watch on TV, that becomes our steady diet of the word instead of the word. And what happens is you and I wind up becoming these shallow Christians who run on these circles of highs and lows of goods and bads. And we never, we never get to this higher plane that God wants us to get in our spiritual walk. If we suffer, we almost lose our faith over it. If things don't go exactly the way that we want, then we, we just go haywire. And some of us are coming back to church for the first time because of things that have went on in the past, whether at this church or 
another church. And so we use the sin of other people and we use history and we use all these things. And this is what makes up our spiritual life. Some kind of shallow uh picture of what God's word says, uh, added with all the things that we've gone through. And then this is what our Christianity is. All it is, is just this shallow, whatever experience we're going through, that's how we live. And the problem is if we don't finally turn the page on our shallow Christianity and get into a deep and rich full relationship with Jesus Christ by exploring the entire word of God, we will continue in 2022 to be shallow, if not even more shallow than we were the year previous. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it in my life that I only look to the book when I have to do this for work. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of, of, of me wanting to just do devotions because that's what good Christians do. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of, of, of us corporately just singing songs in this shallow way and us really not knowing who Jesus is. Jesus has become our fire insurance. And he hasn't become the Lord of our life. And we wonder why when things go haywire, why, why, why we want to leave the doors of the church or why we want to shut the book or why we don't even want to be around Christians. We have lived this practical Christianity in such a flippant way. And I want it to end in 2022. Can we, can we just turn the page and love Jesus? And fall in love with his word. And get on this, this deeper level of our relationship with the one who died for our sin and the one who saved us. Can we finally turn the page and fall in love with Jesus? That's what I want for us this year. I don't want, I don't want us just to come here and do religious things. I don't want us just to come here and just say, hey, we did that. And then, you know, put another notch on our belt or, you know, check some box. Hey, I didn't know. Can we finally turn the page on what it means to love Jesus? And I think that the issue is, and that, at least in my life, and maybe, maybe you can uh, identify with this. I think the character defects that I have in my life, uh, just, uh, just thinking about some of the stuff that, uh, of, my, of my sinful nature, is that I, I, I want to do more than be. Right, like I, I wanna, I wanna know that that I'm a good Christian because I did this, this, and this. And the problem is, as we have this this hodgepodge of things that we want to do, we forget who we are. And that's the key to finally understanding and getting into this deeper walk with Jesus is that we understand it's about who we are in Him over what we do for Him. And the thing is, we're trying to, to dig deep and get into this deep Christianity. But what happens is every time we think about the stuff, so, so we're digging this hole and we're trying, to, we're trying to fall deeper in love with Jesus. And we're trying to have this deeper experience. But the reason why we're shallow is because we keep putting all of this activity into that hole that we're trying to dig deeper. And so we stay shallow because we're relying on the stuff instead of on the Savior. And so... 
what I want us to look at today is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and then we're going to flip over to uh, Psalm 40. I want us to look at what does it mean to really identify with who Jesus is as a new creation in Christ. Here's the thing. That, that verse that we're going to see in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is a great bumper sticker, right? Therefore, if anyone is a new creature in Christ, you know, he's the, you know, old's gone, new's here. We'll see it on t-shirts. All of a sudden, we'll, we'll take parts of that verse out. The old is gone, the new is here, and then it starts being taken out of context, and that's the only thing. It becomes this mantra. We're a new creature. Old things are gone. Everything's new. Instead of focusing on the fact, why are we a new creature? Why is all the old gone, and why is the new here? Because of Jesus, not us. You're not, a, you're not a rock star Christian because of all that you do. You understand that Jesus is the only rock star in this room. And everything is supposed to be about his fame and his glory, not ours. We take the truth of God's word and the next thing we do, we zoom it in and we make it about us. And all of a sudden it's not about Jesus, it's another uh, spiritual selfie of us. How do we turn the page recognizing who we are in Jesus in order for us to understand the depth of what it means to be a new creation? So I want you to join with me and let's take our Bibles and let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and let's stand for the reading of God's word. Here's what the Bible says. For we know if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent designed to be put on our heavenly dwelling. Since we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are because we do not want to be unclothed but clothed so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave us the spirit as a down payment. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and would prefer to be away from the body and home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. We, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your consciences. But we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who, have take, who take pride in outward appearance rather than in the heart. For if we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we are in, right in our mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us that since we have reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who had died, who has died and for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. 
everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him as he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And he made the one who did not know sin to be made sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks for standing. You could be seated. So 2 Corinthians is quite possibly the fourth uh, correspondence that Paul has with this church at Corinth. And the church at Corinth, uh, the, the, the city of Corinth, is a major metropolis in the Roman Empire uh, during this time. There's a lot of commerce. There's a lot of, of art. There's a lot of history. Some people even would say just like, um, so, you know, New York City is called the Big Apple, and they call Manhattan, Kansas, the Little Apple, right? Kind of the same type of relationship that even though Corinth was smaller than Rome, it kind of had that, that Rome type of feel to it. And so this city, this church that gets started uh, in, in Corinth um, had a lot of things going on. It obviously was way more Gentile than Jewish, which is, was different than a lot of the, the first churches that got started. And one of the issues that came up in this Corinthian church was just uh, this, I, this, this, this idea of trying to fit in with Corinth at the same time trying to fit in with heaven. You ever felt that way sometimes? That you're trying to fit in like with the people that you live around but then also be a Christian at the same time? And those of us who've, who've tried, we know it doesn't work, right? Because you're either going to serve one or you're going to serve the other. Either you're going to serve God or you're going to serve the system of this world. You can't do both. But we try, right? We try all the time and we continue. We, we've heard the verse over and over, you can't do that. Yes, we always try to do that. And so this church in Corinth continued to have these issues. Like they had the, an issue of, of, of one guy, um, you know, uh, having an ancestral relationship. They had, and then this guy, you know, he, he left, he came back and he repented and the church still wouldn't accept him. So Paul had to tell them, hey, if he comes back, accept, what are you doing? There was another instance of the way that they were giving and all these different things that was going on in the church. And the problem is they had this issue with understanding that everything that happens in this world is temporary and everything that happens in our spiritual life is eternal, right? So as they're going through this process, Paul writes them, they, they write Paul, Paul writes them, he writes back and then so on and so on. So now we get to 2 Corinthians and in chapter 5, he starts telling them something about themselves, and even though it may sound really morbid, what he talks about primarily is the fact that we, in our earthly bodies, have to realize that we're not going to live forever. And, you know, that's one of the marks of a believer. Did you know that? That you recognize one day, if the Lord doesn't come back, you're going to die, dude. It's going to happen. You're going to die. Do you realize that? One day we're going to die. If Jesus doesn't come back, if the Lord tarries and waits a generation or so after us or even a thousand years more, we're going to die. So everything that we do in this life has a timestamp on it. In the beginning, it has a timestamp at the end. That's the, one of the first things you have to recognize in order to understand a lot, right? When you came to Jesus, what did you have to realize? That not only were you a sinner, but one day what's going to happen? You're going to die, and if you die without Jesus, you're on your way to hell. 
Understanding that your life is temporary is what causes you to start craving and wanting the eternal. Why does that change, though, once we know Jesus? Why do we forget the concept that first brought us to Jesus was the fact that we are going to die one day. Once we become a believer, we're still going to die. It's just now we know that we're going to be with Jesus. So the whole point was for us to have this outlook change, not just, uh, not just forget something. It's like we, we, we swept under the rug the fact that we're going to die because we fell so much in love with our new life in Jesus, not realizing it's not about now we have this new life. It's about the one who gave us new life. The focus has to go back on Jesus. We have this tendency as human beings to even take the good things of God and make it about us instead of about him. And so we'll start singing songs about the glory and praise to God. And the next thing you know, the only songs we listen to are the songs that are ballads about us and God instead of just about God. So our entire Christian life is just this, 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 this Instagram page of what God has done in our life instead of God. And so for us to get back to the point about who Jesus is, we need to get to the point that we recognize that our life is going to end. Because that then tells us, okay, so what do we do with this life that we have? We still look back on what God has done in history, in our life, to the moment of salvation, we look to see what God wants to do with our life until the moment that we go home to heaven Our life needs to be based on being in the center of God's will more than trying to find out what we do next in the timeline. So Paul brings this up. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, We for we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in heavens, in the heavens not made with hands. So the first thing is understanding the fact that there's a difference between this temporary life and the eternal life. And we're going to find out that if we have the right perspective about the fact that our life is temporary, but our soul and our relationship with Jesus is an eternal one, it not only affects the way that we live, it also affects the way that we encounter and deal with other people as well. Because once we start seeing our life as a soul that was saved, hopefully what will happen is we'll start seeing people as souls over, over just people that we use. Because that's, that's the key. Understanding who you are in Jesus should cause us to do what? Turn the page on our selfishness and start turning the page and, and realizing that other people need Jesus too. Right? So he says, once we realize that if we die, if our life is destroyed here, if this temporary life is destroyed, we still have an eternal dwelling, not just eternal, but who is our dwelling with? God. So remember, eternal life, everlasting life, isn't just the fact that where our soul will remain alive and that we have eternal life. It's the fact that we will spend eternity with our Savior. Again, it's about him, not about us. Eternal life is awesome, but eternal life is only eternal life because of Jesus, not because of us. And sometimes we focus too much on the street of gold that we focus on the one who made the street of gold. 
You see, everything has to change our perspective about the shadow. See, it, it, it's very, it's shallow to think just about what your life is now in Jesus, how it affects you, instead of recognizing how big God is and how he could use you to impact other things. That's the depth that we have to get through. And the first thing is recognizing that even if we die physically, we still live eternally. Right? Okay. So now verse 2 says this. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to, to put on our heavenly dwelling, since when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, Burdened as we are because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. So it's not just the recognition of the difference between the temporary and the eternal. Here's the next step that you desire. Get this. You desire to be with Jesus more than you desire what's happening here on earth. And for us, that's where the growth needs to happen. Because some of us love our life here so much that heaven is always in the future tense, not in the present view. So we don't live as citizens of heaven. We live as people who one day will go to heaven. So we don't recognize, like it says at the end of this chapter, that we are ambassadors. We are looking for a future residence instead of realizing that heaven for us is here right now. Jesus tells us to pray this way, doesn't he? On earth as it is in heaven. So think about how, how do we focus our life? Are we, like the Bible says, groaning to be with Jesus? Or is Jesus just this still a theoretical, a practically theoretical person that we're going to see one day and thank him for what he did for us? Is Jesus the central theme of your life or is he just someone who's in the background of the story and one day we'll get to him? Because this idea of groaning to be in heaven more on earth causes us to change perspective on what was what we do here on earth. Let me give you the, an example. Let's say uh, you get to go away on vacation, right? And let's say it's a vacation spot you've been wanting to go to for your entire life, right? If it's something like Disney World, Dustin and Z can tell you you need like 12 weeks to go to Disney World because of all you have to do there, right? And there's so much there. I mean, like Dustin and I would probably spend the entire time in Star Wars, Galaxy Edge, making lightsabers all day, but there's other, there are other parts of Disney World, right? And imagine you get this trip, all expenses paid, and you get to go to Disney World for a month, right? Even with a month at Disney World, you still need to plan every day what you're going to do because there's so much to do, right? And you plan it out. You're going to get up at this time. You're going to get the fast passes. You're going to do all that. You're going to go on this ride. You go on that. We're going we're gonna to scramble. We're going to leave because we're not going to eat at the park because it's way too expensive. We're going to go out, come back in. So I got to plan that out. All the, 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 the trolley leaves at this time. You know, the, the monorail leaves at this time to get us to this part. And oh, oh, Epcot Center, beautiful at this time of night. So I want to go there. Definitely got to take the Instagram pictures. So we got to be there at this time and all these things. And you plan the entire month out. And then when it's all said and done, you still miss half the stuff that's at Disney World, right? Because there's so much to do there. But why do you plan? Because you know you only have what? A month. 
why do we live our life as if Disney World is better than heaven? Why don't we live our life realizing that we're only going to be here for a certain amount of time, so let's make the most of the time that we have here, falling in love with our Savior and finding out what he wants us to do with the time that we have here, instead of thinking, hey, we have this amount of time, we'll be fine, heaven's in the, near, in the distant future, let me focus on what I do here. We see this all the time even in financial planning, don't we? We're talking about retirement, we're talking about this, we're talking about that, which is all good. But even the best, most Christian minds on finances like Dave Ramsey will tell you, the whole point is to build a legacy because you ain't going to be here. It's to help the next generation also serve God. That's the point. The point isn't just so you die with all this stuff because there's no hurts that, that, that has a U-Haul behind it. You're going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. So what do we do with the time that we have here? Do we live our life groaning to be with Jesus? Because if we can make that change and recognize that our real life is the eternal soul that we have, here's how we'll groan. Verse 4, we'll groan in this tent, we'll be burdened because we don't want to be unclothed. We want to be clothed. We want, we want to understand what we have, that, that this this temporary body isn't what I'm supposed to have, but that uh, this mortality, this idea that one day my life is going to end is swallowed up by the fact that I have eternal life. That the fact that I know Jesus helps me live this temporary life because now this is just God's assignment for now instead of the end of the story. That's why it really burdens me when I see people who don't have any, any relationship with Jesus or don't even want to believe in, in, in God at all because it just ends. It just ends. And we know that's not what we were built for. We've never been built for things just to end, right? Our entire human life is about getting to the next, even in our selfishness, it's always about getting to the next level. So this idea that people are okay with just an ending is ridiculous. They just don't want to think about it. And as believers, if we don't want to think about what we have in Jesus, we're just as bad as the atheists. Do we think about what it means to have eternal life? Verse 5 says this, now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God. Okay, so where does, this, where does this idea about that we're going to die, so don't make everything on earth of the last thing, worry more about how you're building up your eternal life, your spiritual life, where does this come from? Who has prepped us for this? God himself. So remember how I said in the beginning, this is one of the biggest turning of the, page that, of the pages that we have to do. We have to stop relying on even reliable sources to be the steady diet of what we take in spiritually. Because God is the one that prepares us for our heavenly home, not the preacher, right? Not the blog post, not the worship music. All those things are what? Subsidiary and also complementary to what? Our spiritual walk in the word. How do, how do the songs that Dustin leads the worship team and leads us singing, how do those make sense? Because of this. It's not stuff that the author made up. 
It's not something that the, that, that the author of the song, the writer of the song just decided, hey, this sounds good. This will make, No, it comes from the Bible. How does, when someone say, I- I'm going to pray for you when you're sick, how, how does that affect you? Because you know the effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. Where'd you find that? In the Bible. When, the, when you have this burden and this anxiety and this depression that's overwhelming, how do you know to cast everything on the Lord because his burden is light? He told us in the Bible. And so again, like I've said it a thousand times, if we're not in the book, how do you expect anything to change? We have to start turning the page by, forgive the pun, turning pages. We got to get in here. If we're not in here, like, I mean, what, what, what are we doing? Who gave us the spirit as a down payment. So here's, here's where this, and this will tie into the next, we're going to talk about abiding confidence. Okay, so the reason you and I have the grace to live a life outside of our normal control, okay? The reason why you and I are able to think about the fact that we're going to die and not let it overwhelm us with fear, but prepare us to live a more uh, life focused on serving Jesus and seeing what he has for us to do while we're here. The reason why any of this is possible, it's not just that God prepared us. The reason why we received it and are able to live it out is because he gave us the Holy Spirit. Okay, the greatest gift that God gave us inside of salvation is having God, the spirit, the third person of the Trinity living inside each and every one of us who knows Jesus. Because not only does the spirit seal us until Jesus calls us home, not only does the spirit guide us and teach us and convict us about the word of God says, the reason why we can say that we have eternal life is because the spirit lives inside of us. So he gave us it, and, and the phrasing um, that, that the CSB uses, down payment, makes a lot of sense to me because we don't have the whole thing yet, but this shows us that we have access to the Father, that it is ours, that salvation is ours. And the thing is, it's not our down payment, it was Jesus's, right? Hey, you ain't no co-signer on your salvation, you know that, right? You didn't help God out, you know what I mean? Jesus saved you, moved through history, chose you, elected you, saved you, and then gave you his down payment to say, hey, I'm coming back to get you. That's who you have inside of you. The spirit of God who then causes us to have this confidence that abides or remains. Here's verse 6. So we are always confident, okay? Oh, I love that phrase. Not just confident, always confident. So we have the ability. Do you, know, do you realize that? We have the ability to always be confident in what God's doing. Now, we may not always feel confident, but we always have not just the emotional confidence, we have the stability of, we have an actual state of being confident because our salvation doesn't rely on us, it relies on Jesus. So we can be confident all the time. When we're not confident, it ain't God's fault. Because he gives us the ability to always be confident. Why? And we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Okay, so that means what? Remember how we hear, we, we say this at funerals all the time. We quote the other verse of scripture that says what? Absent with the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. This is the other side. Being home in the body means we're absent from the Lord. So here's the thing. Because we're not going to be with Jesus face to face like we are when we get to heaven, we need the spirit to help us. To have this confidence because why? What does he say? We walk by faith 
not by sight. Why do you need the Spirit of God? Why do you need this, this abiding confidence? Why do you need to understand the difference between temporary and, and, and eternal? Because we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that's how the elders obtained a good report, Hebrews says. Because we walk knowing who Jesus is, and we have confidence in someone we haven't even seen. But we know who he is, we know what he's done in our life, we know he's real. But there is this part of us that's like, I don't, I don't see Jesus, therefore there may be doubt. So the abiding confidence comes by walking by faith. And how do we, have, again, how are we going to have faith if we're not in the book? Honestly, how do you, how do you think, I mean, I, 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 I pray with people. I sit with people, I counsel people, I love on people, but when someone tells me that they're trusting in the Lord and they're not in the book, how are they trusting in the Lord? And I'm gonna ask you the same question, I love you to death, but how are you trusting in Jesus if you don't read your Bible? How are you trusting in Jesus if you only come to church half the time? How are you trusting in Jesus if you're not holding yourself accountable to other believers? If you're not growing, how are you trusting? Trust comes from growth. And this abiding confidence is something that we grow into. We have it, but we grow into it. Verse 8 says, in fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So here's again, coming back to it. What what is our desire? What is our spiritual preference? To be here on earth or to be in heaven with Jesus? It's a completely different way of thinking about things. Do we crave being in the presence of the Lord more than being in the presence of stuff or people? He said this is where that, that change needs to happen. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, okay, so we make our aim to be pleasing with him. So here's the other thing. Here's where it comes together and here's where growth actually happens. So you have two mindsets. You have the temporary mindset and you have the eternal mindset, right? You have the fact that we are here on earth right now and you also have the fact that we have eternal life and the Bible says that you and I are citizens of heaven right now. Okay? If you know Jesus, you are a citizen of heaven right now. Okay? So you have this temporary life and you have this eternal life. How in the world do these two things coexist? How do you not spend all your time like a hermit just reading the Bible? And how do you spend your time not just clubbing all day and not worrying about Jesus? How do you do both? How do you do that? Well, what the verse says is that you and I need to realize no matter where we are, whether we're with Jesus or not with Jesus, our goal in life is to please Jesus. So whether you're in heaven or whether you're on earth, your goal is the same, to please the Lord, to live a life that's worthy of the calling that you have. So the mindset that some of us need to have to have 2022 have significant changes in our spiritual life, no matter what the, con the consequences are, no matter what happens in, 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 uh, in the world or whatever the media says, whatever happens with COVID or whatever flu strands next or whatever happens next, 
The way for us to have a 2022 that turns the page is for us to realize no matter where we are, no matter what we do, it is our desire, our intention, and our privilege to please Jesus. Can you say that if you had to sum up why you live, would it be to please Jesus? And I'm, I'm not being oversimplified. I'm, I'm literally asking you, is that what it is? Because most of us, our goal is to, like you, you'll even say it. See my kids right there? See my wife? And you sound so spiritual when you say it. That's the reason why I live. No, it ain't. Because if they're the reason why you live, your family's your God, not, not Jesus. The only way that your family's gonna be okay is if your main purpose is to please Jesus. If your main purpose is to please your family or to please your church or to please your job, to please your boss or to please your significant other, whatever it is, if your goal is to please them, then you have missed the mark. Whether we live or whether we die, our goal is to please Jesus. If, if, if we're not married yet, that needs to become our goal now. Because if you're, if, if, I'm, I'm telling you, if you live for someone else and you don't live for Jesus, that person is an idol. The only one that should be worshiped is Jesus. And so we live for the one that we worship because he is worth everything. So how do we live? Do we live in that, in that way? Verse, uh, verse 10. Now, how do we know that this was done right? Like at the end, is there some sort of litmus test or evaluation. Well, yeah, the Bible says it very clear. Now, this is for believers. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We're not talking about the great white throne judgment that people who didn't accept Jesus will, will, will have to stand against and then they'll be judged out of the books of, of all the things that they've done in their life because their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. We're talking about the judgment seat of Christ. This is, this is the idea. The Greek word there is bima. It's the idea of, uh, of a judge at the end of a race who, who, who's the one that hands out the awards to everybody. So basically, like, you know, the one who gives the gold, silver, and bronze medals at the Olympics, the judge, the one who does that, this is what we're talking about. We're not losing our salvation, we're not, but, but there is going to be this time in heaven that we are all going to have to appear as believers in front of the Savior, and he is going to judge us on how we lived our life. Did we live our life in the temporary or did we live our life focused on the eternal? And the Bible says as, as Jesus uh, gives us these crowns for what we've done in our life, the Bible says that we will then bow down and give the crowns back because we're nothing and he's everything. It's like silly for Jesus to give us a crown. We're going to be like, because right now we're like, man, that crown of glory is awesome. Yeah, it's cool. But once we get to heaven, we're going to realize that's Jesus and I'm just little old me, I don't need a crown. I got Jesus, right? Here's the thing. Some of us may not have any crowns to give back. That, that's what he's talking about. Some of us may be empty-handed or have these little itty-bitty crowns because we didn't do anything. That we lived our life. So we made it to heaven. 
Yes, but is the goal just to get to heaven? I mean, come on, because you didn't do it anyway. Jesus got you to heaven. You didn't do that, so <laughs> you didn't do that. But you could live your life the way he wants you to. Now you have freedom to do that. Jesus saved you, but it's your choice to live for him. So when we're out there, it's not going to be a crown for getting to heaven. You're there. But what have you done with your life? Because we're all going to be before him, whether we did good or evil. That means, that means listen, even though there's not going to be a great white throne judgment for you if you've accepted Jesus, you still are going to have to stand before Jesus and explain all the bad stuff that you did. That, why do you think God's going to have to wipe away so many tears? It's not just going to be because we see what happens at the great white throne judgment. There's going to be a lot of disappointment for not living a life for him now. Think about that. So then you say, and you say, well, Rob, you're being really dramatic. Look at verse, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a drama queen, but look at this guy. Watch this. Look at verse 11 here. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. What I just shared with you is literally what we're supposed to do for one another. To persuade, hey, live your life. This is not, we don't persuade people just to come to heaven. It is our responsibility as believers to persuade one another to live a godly life. Because we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I don't think about this for a second. Imagine we're all standing at the judgment seat of Christ and we were we aided and abetted in you not you know, living your life for the best of the Lord and were tolerant and didn't really let you know, hey, maybe we should be living our life a different way. Maybe we didn't have that accountability partner. The accountability partner is also going to look at Jesus and see the person that they are friends with not have anything because we didn't help them. So it's our responsibility to persuade one another to live godly lives. It's not just about us. If it's about him, we worried about other people. We persuade people. What we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your consciousness. God sees us clearly. God knows exactly who we are. The reason why we get to go to heaven is because when God looks at us, he sees the blood of Jesus that covers us. He still knows who we are. He still knows our tendencies. He still knows that we think things and say things and do things that displease God. He knows that. He knows us plainly. So the Bible says, do we know ourselves plainly? Do we see ourselves the way God sees us? Forgiven, but not perfect. Forgiven, but work still to be done. Do we see ourselves the way God sees us? We are not commending ourselves to you again. So he's talking to the church here, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a, a reply for those who take pride in our outward appearance rather than in our hearts. So Paul is saying, listen, I'm writing this stuff to you so that when people talk about us, you don't have to talk about how great we are. You can talk about how God sees us and God sees you just like we see you. Okay, so he's saying, hey, don't laud us in our outward appearance. Don't, don't give us props to other people because of all that's been accomplished. The only person who should be getting any props is God, right? So even when we talk about, like, you know, what, is, what God has accomplished here at The Rock, we don't take credit for it. We even say it. We can't write this stuff out what God does. We can't. We can't script this stuff out. We give all glory to God, and the moment we stop, watch what God stops doing. So we give glory to him. 
He says, hey, those who want to judge us on what we do, realize God sees us plainly like he sees you plainly. For we are, look what he says, for if we're out of our mind, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. If we're crazy, we'll be crazy for Jesus. But it's for you, we're going to do the best that we can. Why? For the love, this is what he says. He calls it, he says that it's kind of like being out of your mind. But here's, here's what happens. When you turn the page and you realize that there's a difference between the temporary and the eternal. When you realize that there are other people besides yourself. When you realize that your goal is to please Jesus with your whole life. And you realize that we keep each other accountable because we're all going to have to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. When we understand that, here's how it looks. The love of Christ compels us. And for some people, it looks like we're out of our mind because of how devoted we are to Jesus. How could you miss every weekend and be at church when there's so much stuff to get done? How could, how could you literally tell your boss you don't want overtime every week because you want to be in with God's people? How, how, why do you get up so early to read your Bible? Are you, kid, you, you take your kids to youth group three times a week? You sacrifice their sports abilities to make sure they're in church? Are you kidding me? That's crazy. Because the love of Christ compels us. Because our job is to please Jesus, not to set up the future for our children. Our goal is to please Jesus. And if we please Jesus, our kids' futures are bright. It may be cloudy, it may be dark, you may be going through it, but your kid's future is bright if you're pleasing Jesus. Because the word of God doesn't return void. And you keep trying, you keep struggling, you keep at it. God loves us so much that he's compelled. He was so compelled, he sent Jesus to die for your sins. How crazy does that sound? That, that Corey Asbury wrote it this way, this, this reckless love. That to the outside world, God's love looks reckless. We don't deserve this. It didn't have to be this way. We should all be outside of the love of God, but he loved us and found us and saved us and keeps us saved. He seals us. And he gives us the spirit as a down payment. And even though we, he knows that some people are going to be at the judgment seat of Christ, he still, with nothing to give, he still loves them and he still saves them. And that love that compelled him is the love that could compel us. The love of Christ compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion, so why are we compelled? Because if we reach this conclusion that if Jesus died and then for all, then all, all of us, our old life can be dead. And if he died for all so that all of us who now live, those of who have received Christ, should no longer live from themselves. Our, our being compelled means that we realize because Jesus died, it is not our life now to live that we have. We have the life that God has given us. So to please the Lord, Romans calls it our reasonable service. It makes sense to serve God because he loves us. Think about that. It makes sense to love God and to serve him because he loves us. So from now on, then we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we've known Christ from a worldly perspective, we yet no longer know him in this way. Therefore, 
If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Okay, so now how did this idea, so, so the idea of, of being a new creature in Christ makes a lot of sense uh, just because of what Jesus did for us, right? But now I want you to really think about what a deep understanding of what it means to be a new creation is. So we got to start from a little bit before that verse. We don't just pick up that verse because the verse starts with the phrase what? Therefore, right? So we don't just like look at that one verse and single it out and go, I'm a new creation. Cool. Why? I don't know. Look up. From now on, verse 16 then, we don't know anybody by a worldly perspective. What does that mean? That means as I look at you and you look at me and we look at our neighbors and we look at people inside of the church walls and outside of the church walls, we no longer see them as the way we used to see them. We don't just see them as so-and-so who lives there or so-and-so who sits there or so-and-so who serves with me there. We see them as souls. We see them as people who also have either the gift of eternal life on their life or the, the cursing of, of not knowing Jesus. That's how we see people. So this burden, this, com this, this compelling nature comes from us understanding who, how God sees people. Remember? Remember how God plainly sees you? He also plainly sees other people. And so now we have to have the eyes of God to see people plainly the way God sees them. And God sees them as precious souls. For if, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, we now no longer know him in this way. So even he says this, even if you knew Jesus, or even when you began to walk with Jesus, even when you accepted Jesus, this turning of the page has to be now you see yourself as what you really are. Therefore, this is what he says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Right? So this word appears several times in the, in the New Testament, two times in this, in this letter, that, that Paul uses this phrase about new creation, meaning that it, it comes from something that, that that's, wasn't there, something that's more than being refreshed, something that is brand spanking new, something that wasn't there before, that type of new, almost like a new invention. Okay? So this is what it is. The difference between... Um, the way we live and who we really are is this. We have not been reformed. We've been regenerated. We didn't just get better. We are completely brand new. And you say, Rob, I woke up and I cussed. I'm not brand new. Rob, me and my wife had a fight yesterday. I'm not brand new. Remember when we talked about the old man and the new man? The old man, the one that you were before Jesus is still there, but the new creation is that soul that is now saved. You now have the old man and the new man living inside. That's why you have the struggle that you want to serve God, but you continue to, to serve the world and the things that you, Paul puts this way, that the, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I shouldn't do, those are things that I do. So now there's a struggle in there because the new creation is that new man. And that's the one who has to start winning those battles over the old man. This is where the struggle comes from. If you don't have that struggle, I invite you to contemplate whether or not you know Jesus as your Savior. If you're still, still living your life the way you've always lived your life, and there's never this, this tugging to, to, to come to Jesus or, or, or to turn from what you do, and you just do what you want, even coming to church, you do it because you want to, you need to find out whether you have Jesus as your Savior or not. 
Because there should be this fight. There should be this struggle to serve Jesus, and the old man wants to go the other way. And you may say, well, I'm winning those battles more than I did before. Praise the Lord, but the battles are there. If there's not a battle, you need to ask yourself whether you know Jesus or not. Old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, now counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors, for since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So two things real quickly before we jump to Psalm 40 real quick. The first thing is this. God has given us this responsibility. And the responsibility God has given us is to persuade other people to recognize that they can have reconciliation with God as well. Wasn't it a beautiful thing when you were reconciled to God? That when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you now know your sins were forgiven. You're no longer an enemy of God. You're not a slave to sin. You're now free, and now you're a child of God. Wasn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't it wonderful to know that you are reckoned, that God doesn't see you as an enemy, that God sees you as his child? Isn't that wonderful? Do you realize that other people still need to know that? Some people live with depression and anxiety with no hope at all because they don't know that, that God loves them. Some people don't live a reconciled life and they don't even struggle because they don't have this new man. And it's our, this is how God, it's so important to God that God has actually given us an official title. We are ambassadors. We are representatives of his to people on this earth to tell them that they can be reconciled to God. Now real quick. When you see at the end and in verse, the last verse of chapter 5, when it says, he made the one who did not know sin, I want you to be clear, God didn't make his son. Jesus Christ is just as much eternal as God the Father. They are three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They have all been around in eternity past. They'll be here eternity future. They're the ones in charge, okay? They are three in one, the triune God. The Trinity is something that's very important. When, when some versions of the Bible say that he made the son, what he's saying is he designated him to be the one to do this. That means that he made it his job to be the one that would pay the price for our sins. Remember, God is the author and finisher of our faith. The spirit is the sealer of our faith. Jesus Christ is the executor of the estate. Okay? So that's what it means when he says that he made him. So don't think that God made his son or he's, that when he says he's the son that he's not as powerful as the father. God says that we look at the son, the spirit points to the son, but Jesus Christ is as much God as God the father is. And that's important for you to know because he, the, you needed God to die for you. You couldn't just have a good person die for you. You had to be someone who is sinless to be able to pay the price for your sin because you have sin. So just another sinner dying for you doesn't cut it. You needed someone without sin. And the only person we know without sin is who? God. So God had to die for your sin. So Psalm 40, real quick, I want, to, I want to share something as a word of encouragement. Because here's, if you're like me, this is where you are right now. All right, Rob, you said there's temporary, there's eternal. 
You say that we're supposed to be living our life to please God. You say that we have the spirit as a down payment. You say that, that there's this abiding confidence. Here's the thing. I know Jesus as my savior, Rob, but what you said, I'm having a real hard time figuring out how to actually do that. Man, what you said sounds great, but when it comes to what, what, how my life actually is, I, I don't know how to do any of that. Here's what Psalm 40 says, and I want you to listen to what it says. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me out of the desolate pit, out of the muddy clay, and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, and they will trust in the Lord. Happy is anyone who puts his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to, do, to run to those who run after lies. Lord my God, you have done many things, your wondrous works, your plans for us. None can compare with you, for if I were to report and speak of them, they are more than can be told. So, maybe the first turn that you have to do is this. Maybe the first turn you have to make is simply maybe for the first time calling to God for help. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you don't understand. Maybe you've heard it. You've been in Sunday school. You've been in church your whole life, but you still don't have this personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I implore you today to cry for help. I implore you today to call on Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to save you and to seal you and give you eternal life. I implore you today to call on the one who will hear your cry.